All right, and we're live here at the station of decapitation. You just heard without your head. I'm Nasty Neil. That would make me terrible, Troy. I am treacherous, Trista. And we're joined by Justin Behead. I like Behead. Bernard Head's good too, but <laughs> Behead is fitting for without your head. <laughs> That's about right, actually. <laughs> Welcome, Joe. Very cool to have you here. Yeah, thanks. Glad to be here. Uh, thank you for uh, having me on. It was very cool for people who uh, were at Severed Limbs uh, a couple weeks ago. We got to see a couple of your films. Definitely. That was that was a great uh, experience, great opportunity to see the reactions going up as each film was playing. Uh, and getting two different reactions was fantastic. Yeah. And, and of course, Slasher 6, which was, which was really fun. I get to see a lot of your work. We all of us got to see a lot of your work. Thank you. And I'm glad you guys dug it. It was... Uh, like a couple months in the making process for that. For people, you know, who uh, aren't familiar, what was Slasher 6? So Slasher 6 was basically um, this Halloween marathon that I had had planned for the last few months and didn't start implementing until uh, two months ago where the idea was to have a certain number of my films uh, in this marathon format, similar to like an old TV broadcast back in like the nineties with commercials and such. And I specifically picked the six ones that seem to get the, uh, from people that I've shown my films to the strongest reaction, uh, most popular here and there. And I also decided to sprinkle in some, uh, surprise short films that were most of the short films that appeared as part of that main lineup were 30 minutes and over. Whereas some of the bonus shorts were under 10 minutes and so, you know, it was just this fun idea to do this little Halloween-style uh, horror movie marathon for, like, three days and post it on YouTube and just see how many people I could get to watch it as this uh, private link that I just blasted all over social media. I really like the feel of it. I like the commercials in it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and just the retro TV vibe. It, it all really worked. Thanks. Thanks, Neil. Glad you dug it. Yeah. How did you go about finding the uh, the, the commercials? And I, you don't have to tell me, but are, are they uh, – so were they all from the same time? Like, what could they have played together? Uh, I mean, there are, you know, of course, some channels back in the day where they would – they might play occasionally for years, play like so a yeah. commercial from the 70s that would still be playing later, you know, amongst a bunch of 90s ones. But I would say a majority of them would not have played together – back in the 90s and uh, finding those was actually interesting because they all came together in these uh, compilation videos. I found like five or six compilation videos that were like an hour and a half, two hours of just a wealth of commercials <laughs> and some of them would have the same one. Some of them would have a few interesting ones that I was just like, oh, this is a good one. I should try this one here and there. And, uh, and I tried to stick mostly to the 80s and the 90s because those seemed to kind of match the most but there were a couple from the seventies that were just too good to not include. It's weird. Cause I think, you know, uh, most people like to watch the old commercials. We feel nostalgic. And even at the time, like I think we, but uh, currently like, you know, I, I can't imagine like 20 years from today, people wanting to put commercials in something to make it feel nostalgic, you know, cause people want to avoid commercials. No, it was, it was definitely. And I mean, my stuff, I wouldn't say it's, about nostalgia, but oh no, it wasn't. I do, yeah. but there is some 
nostalgia factor in I think my the work setup of sure. that was, yeah. Most definitely. And uh, and it, it just felt like a fun thing to do. It was a fun project that I thought was interesting to try out and uh, really fun, at times stressful, but mo- for the most part, fun to put together. And uh, it was fun to see Trist eating eyeballs. Not to spoil anything. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Yeah. yeah, no, having Tristan in two of the films uh, was also a plus, just going from seeing her and having your cake and then the very next film and just seeing the difference in her uh, characters and performances and uh, yeah, just getting to see a variety, little variety of Tristan in the marathon was it was great. I agree. It's very fun. And not just because she's on the show. And I guess she's all right. No, no, I like her. But no, she's very good in the uh, in them. It's very good. So, how did you two meet? How did how did you first start to work together? So, Trista, I met. Uh, so, I was producing a a short film that was uh, part of the marathon called "Having Your Cake." For it was for a friend of mine, Marsh Allen. I wrote the script and I worked as his uh, producer as well. So I helped him with a lot of the casting process and getting the locations and such. And when it came time to audition for some of the roles in Having Your Cake, uh, Trista was one of the people that auditioned for the role of this character, Catherine Gladstone. And we saw a few different actresses. And when we got to uh, Trista, the minute she came in with this uh, EI makeup bag, and in between she was telling us some things about herself, things that she had done, different horror films that she had appeared in and Marsh told her that I myself make horror films and that's immediately where during that audition uh, we started talking more about horror films and exchanged contact information and of course she ended up in uh, being cast and having your cake and during that time is when I started writing the script for Queen of the Dead uh, with her in mind actually interesting so like oh, you said oh, yeah no, no, it's okay. No, I was going to say what was interesting real quick, and then 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 we can go to Trista. Was uh, <laughs> is that you said you know it, it it is like two different movies and two two different styles really of even acting. I think so. It was interesting that uh, uh, from Have Your Cake that you had her in mind for uh, for Queen of the Dam because it's much different, uh, even just a totally different vibe of a movie. Oh, most definitely, and uh, that was kind of the idea was to especially with you know, having your cake being this film that we, you know, we wrote without, we didn't have anyone in mind for, we had to discover that person to fit the role. And so with Queen of the Dead, it was fun to have that opportunity to write something both tailor-made for Trista while also, also sprinkling in some things there to also try some new things, which is something that I do like to do with my actors is do stuff where it's like, this is going to fit this person perfectly, but we're also going to tweak it just a little bit over here. So that way, they're not feeling like they're just doing the same thing that they might have done in the previous film. Mm-hmm. And real quick, before we went live, Trista mentioned she might look away to, to look at her cat. If, so, if anyone just saw me look away, kind of in fear, it was a giant spider that just came down from the oh. <laughs> So it was kind of creepy. But it was good. It's a good, uh, good atmosphere for the show, I guess. And what were you going to say, Trista? I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, it's okay. Um, so a couple of things that are interesting about uh, the way I met Justin is, uh, first of all, and Justin doesn't even know this, is that, so 
when I uh, moved to LA, I, my agent wasn't sending me out enough, so I was sending, I was g going out myself on these casting sites, and um, I did that for a long time, and then it just wasn't getting me the kind of work that I, that I wanted, and um, so I moved out of that, but that was actually my last audition that I sent oh, really? myself out on that way. So, yeah, it, it, it's very close. Uh, it's very fortunate that I met Justin in that way because we've become friends and collaborators. And the other funny thing is that, um, so you've seen Renaissance in uh, Severed Limbs, which is Justin's uh, other film, which he made before I met him. But I sort of resemble that actress. I as thought well. the same and thing. Honestly, when I first saw the, the poster, at first I was like, "Is that Trista too?" But uh, yeah. But she had moved away, which is funny. And and then at that time, I was using a reel uh, on my auditions, which uh, you know, it, it didn't really have clips of my uh, films as much as like. Uh, um, Oh no, it did. But uh, but the but this one clip on it was from a short film that was not released, and it, it had a very similar scene to that's in Renaissance. So it was weird when I sent Justin my reel. He was like, well, "This is just like my film." Like <laughs> the one scene was very similar, and I happened to look remarkably like the actress. So it was a strange set of circumstances. Yeah, the alternate reality version of, of this film. <laughs> It was definitely, especially when the scene that she's talking about in particular in Renaissance has the main character on her knees crying. And then the scene that I saw Trista had her uh, laughing, actually, still doing a very similar pose, but the emotions were entirely different. So it was an odd uh, synchronicity in that sense. Yeah, it was weird. And they were both in the bathroom, I think. That's another yeah. thing. Yeah, it was very strange. It was a very similar shot, even. Are you having a spider attack? Uh, no, I was moving uh, some of my screen around, but I, oh. so I could read the chat easier because I couldn't read the chat because it was hidden behind us. But no one needs to really know all that. But uh, AJ <laughs> and Joe, uh, say hello. Hello. <laughs> You're in the chat, and uh, and AJ also put up a bunch of hearts for uh, Tristan. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You almost didn't mention that part, Neil. That's the most important well, part. Well, they weren't for me. Yes, I was like. <laughs> but, uh, it's good to see AJ here. Hope he's doing well. Always good to see AJ. Yeah. So yeah, you, you might have a new pet, Neil. So. That's true. I could name the spider. Do you have a name for the spider, Justin? <laughs> putting you uh, on the spot. Yeah, he's run out of names after his 10 cats. <laughs> yeah, that's... And I mean, I'm looking at all, I have not just back here in front of me, I also <laughs> it took I have a other movies. So uh -huh. it's like trying to think of uh, Boris. Boris. Boris is always a perfect spider name. Yeah, yep. Boris the spider. Yep. I'm literally <laughs> looking up at my Bride of Frankenstein poster up in the top corner. So <laughs> that's what made it pop. Perfect. And uh, Ashley uh, says that she loves the Vincent Price photo. Thank you. Yeah, me too. That's that's the greatest. Oh yeah, that is. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> Trista did bring up about naming the ten cats. Do any of the cats have horror uh, specific names? Yeah, now I got to go through all the. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, we do have a cat named uh, Lucy, who we sometimes nickname uh, in our household uh, Lucifer, uh, and then. <laughs> 
Who else is there? I think that's uh, yeah, I think that's about it because the other names are pretty uh, pretty straightforward, uh, normal names with no relation to even uh, a normal character in a horror movie. So unfortunately, not. <laughs> yeah, I assume you're always a horror fan. Uh, it happened more in. No, no worries. It's all good. It happened more in uh, junior high, I would say. I mean, I'd seen a few horror movies here and there uh, before that. Like, the first one I would say would have to have been uh, The Creature from the Black Lagoon. And that's what started my love for the Universal Monster movies. And from there, it started with actually the fourth Friday the 13th movie, The Final Chapter was like the first one I saw in junior high. And from there, it just spiraled out of control over the next couple of years into the Universal Monster movies, 80s slasher movies, exploitation movies, and a lot of the major classics, such as The Omen, The Exorcist, and eventually John Carpenter's The Thing, and Halloween, and such, and so forth. So, yeah, it spiraled out of, out of control in junior high, and by sophomore year of high school, I was a confirmed fanatic. <laughs> In a way, that's kind of cool to get it into it a little bit later, because then you can go. You have all this stuff you can go back and watch. It's true, and when you've been, when you have parents who kind of keep you away from that stuff, and you hear about these movies for years, that's when you just start going, "Okay, so I'm going to go to the nearest." You know, in high school, we still had Circuit City, uh, which was 2005 for me, and so I would just go to Circuit City and buy a bunch of these horror movies, and just, and that's what also started my collection building of just buying all kinds of different horror movies good bad and just di- in digesting down each and every single one that i got in my you know little hands interesting good and bad because i think horror movies um as opposed to almost any other genre uh you can appreciate the bad ones like no one's like man i really like a bad drama but you can enjoy like a, a lot of bad horror movies it's very true, and I mean, my favorite bad horror movie of all time is uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space, which I would just about say next to Apocalypse Now is one of the other greatest horror, greatest movies of Not all time. Not too often they're put in the, in the same category. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very different. <laughs> oh, man, which, you know, and I love movies like Plan 9, and I'm trying to think of other bad horror movies, like even Manos the Hands of Fate, I find some kind of enjoyment in, to a certain degree. It's not as entertaining, but there's things to latch on to in that movie. What was it about Plan 9 that's, that uh, strikes something with you? Uh, around the time that I saw it, I had seen uh, the Tim Burton movie, Ed Wood, mm-hmm. and it was from there that I started looking up more of the works of uh, Edward D. Wood Jr. and something about just it was everything from the the bad production design, you know, the uh, very shoddy looking sets, the uh, flying saucers, the uh, lackluster acting, and the uh, very overbearing and clunkily written uh, narration that just always <laughs> it it really. Uh, it holds a special place in my heart on top of the fact that when you get past all that, you can sense with Edward D. Wood Jr. kind of along the same lines of Tom Wiseau's The Room, there was still a passion in the making of this movie 
this man who wanted to tell this story maybe didn't quite know how to tell it in the best way, but he had a passion for telling it. And even after, you know, Bela Lugosi's death, managed to find a way to get him in the movie in, again, the most clunky way possible, but everything was done with a sense, with a love, essentially. That's a good point, because I think when you intentionally go out to make like a, like a campy movie, uh, to me, they, there's exceptions, but they tend not to work. But if something was, you know, the heart's there, and they were really trying to make something uh, that can come through, even if it's not, it's not the greatest. Exactly. That was definitely. I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> and uh, years ago, one of our favorite guests, uh, Troy and I, was uh, Conrad Brooks on the show uh, from Play Nine and Glenn and Glenda, Glenn or Glenda, uh, a lot of the Calvin. other things. He was another sweet guy. Yeah. Yep. He used to call me a lot and call me champ. <laughs> no one calls me champ anymore. But hey, champ, my you're doing anymore. great. Oh, no, wasn't he sport? sport? The ice cream man. The ice cream man is sport. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, Joe says, uh, Justin, the two films you had in Severed Limbs are both excellent, uh, but very different in feel. You kind of covered this a little bit, but uh, he says, is that something you strive for, you know, to make different things? Uh, first, I want to say thank you. Uh, thank you to Joe for that, that comment. I appreciate that. And the other thing I would say is, yeah, to a certain degree, it's always about trying something different with each film. Well, trying to kind of have that that voice and that style that people if you know when people do you do develop a fan base people might start to notice those things and kind of go you know notice different shots that appear in some of the other films but there is always that that attempt that i make to try something different a different kind of film a different kind of challenge each time and and yeah between those two films it was just going for some something with Renaissance is so extreme in terms of the gore and the atmosphere. And then with Queen of the Dead going completely in the other direction with a surrealist atmosphere, but that also harkens back more to like 1940s horror movies, specifically those of uh, one of the biggest inspirations on that film was uh, Val Luton actually, as well as certain 60s horror movies like, uh, Carnival of Souls and uh, City of the Dead with Christopher Lee. And so, yeah, there's always that. There will always be those times when I'm making a film where I'm thinking I would like to try to do something along these lines because I haven't done that yet. And that that time I had done some uh, black and white horror films in the past, but they those were when I was younger, when I was still kind of figuring things out. So this was an opportunity to kind of try those things again and uh ho- hopefully you know the, the intention was to make it work and if it worked for anybody then well we did our job uh tris was that like for you to work with uh justin on you know two different projects it was great and we should mention greg standifer as well mm, i know it's because it was yeah. cool that to see him in uh, in both films yeah yeah, who um, plays two different, very different characters, but also uh, I, I, I'll say it's kind of a spoiler, but two maybe not so great dudes. But in real life, he's a wonderful guy. Okay, and, well, that's good to know. I was a good thing. Like yeah. <laughs> in real life, he's exactly like them. You know, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's great working with Justin. He's obviously, I think, as you guys can tell, he's very um, 
soft-spoken and sweet, but also very knowledgeable, you know? So it's a very comfortable set filled with kind people. And he has a strong vision, you know? He knows exactly what he wants. And I think he's not afraid to take big risks, as you can see by his body of work. And I really admire that in a filmmaker. Yeah, because Queen of the Damned, I loved it. Uh, but it's not necessarily like uh, like a lot of things you see today. And that's a good Queen thing. of the Dead, yeah. Queen of the Dead, Queen of the Damned is another one. It is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's understandable. <laughs> but yeah, I loved it. And again, not to say you both here, but yeah. But yeah, I think it was a big risk, and I, I'm very impressed. I, and please, by the way, it turns out, like we often talk about as an actor, you're so vulnerable, you have such little control, and that's why I love working with people that I know are, are talented. Well, Justin, what did you think, um, you know, working with Trista on the first uh, film, what, you know, what did you, why did you think she was right for Queen of the Dead? Well, with Queen of the Dead, it was kind of harkening back, you know, again, to the fact that Trista is also a fellow horror fanatic, and she is someone who I knew could, there was something in her, in the especially in the visual look on Trista that it reminded me of someone who I was thinking very strongly of with this the Queen of the Dead. It was a cross between uh, Vampyra and Barbara Steele. And so I knew that for a role like this, that would be for Trista. And something else that she demonstrated, not just in her reel, and, but especially in Having Your Cake, was that she has... Uh, she's very good at delivering a visual performance, especially. Trista has these eyes that tell a story or tell you exactly how the character's feeling without saying anything. And it's, it's something that I found to be very brilliant when I was uh, beside Marge behind the camera watching her work on Having Your Cake. And then getting to see that again in Queen of the Dead was yet another treat, especially in uh, one particular shot that she actually has uh, has her cover photo, where she's just surrounded by fog, down on her knees, just looking around, startled. And just that shot, tell, is just, it's evocative of Trista's very amazing style of uh, acting that I have come to admire over, over these last few years. That was so nice, Justin. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I can so definitely see that, that too. Like you can see it in Tristan in other things too, where like you could have been a silent movie star. You you just you have that great expressive face. It's it's awesome. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say this is my favorite episode. Of- <laughs> <laughs> this is the ego stroke episode. So. I remember when we were doing Severed Limbs and uh, Annabelle, my friend, said in the in the chat, she said, oh, you have a great face. So it seems like it's universal uh, feeling here. <laughs> I'm certain some people don't like my face, but thank you. I'm sure it's not universal. <laughs> For, for, for the headless ones here, yeah. for the smart ones. <laughs> uh, Joe uh, says uh, the Val Luton influence was evident, very atmospheric. Thank you, and I'm, I'm glad that came across. Uh, if I may say the two, I would say the three biggest influences on the film were, um, to a lesser extent, but it was still there, it was uh, Cat People, 
but the two biggest influences were uh, I watched with a zombie, and perhaps the most uh, the biggest influence of the bunch was uh, the seventh victim. In particular, Trista's character was actually named after the main character in that film, and that film also follows a satanic cult, which this is not a satanic cult including the dead, but the parallels are there most definitely. And it's honestly what got me on on board of just jumping on writing the script as soon as I saw the film. Uh, Ashley Turner says, uh, do you find casting and selecting crew that are horror fans helps develop your concepts in a collaborative manner? Or do you find sometimes contrasting opinion on how horror should be done? Uh, I'd say a healthy uh, mixture of both is uh, what I generally prefer because there are people that have worked on my films, cast and crew, that have varied in their uh, appreciation of horror. There's uh, some that are major horror fans like myself and Trista. There's some that are somewhere in the middle and then there's some that uh, not so much, but they've enjoyed working on my sets and so that's what brings them back. And so... Yeah, I would say that having that healthy mixture does help, especially because of the director of photography on both Renaissance and Queen of the Dead, uh, Arden Carrasco, who's done fantastic work on all the films he's done for me. He's shot for me. He does like horror films, but I would say he's more, he fits in the middle category where he is, he's admitted to me he's not the biggest horror fan, but there are definitely horror movies that he likes. And so I think that does help him with not completely going down uh, the rabbit hole like I do and being able to kind of bring this healthy balance with that. And then you have uh, Greg uh, Sandifer, who I would also say, I would say he's probably not the biggest horror fan, but he's probably seen a few here and there that he does like. Uh, But he enjoyed working on having your cake. And as soon as he found out about uh, the fact that I make horror films, he actually came up to me on set and said, I've never done a spooky film. I'd like to do something spooky. And and he also, he brought his own thing to the role that wasn't coming from, again, his love of the genre. It was just, he thought of things on on the set, you know, just from his own instinct. And so I think that healthy mixture that kind of brings a balance to the set and the final product as a whole uh earlier when you were saying that uh your parents like kept you away from from horror uh you know until you were older uh what did they think when you started to watch horror movies (laughs) uh they're (laughs) at this point they just kind of uh well i would say yeah back in the day they once i got to that age where it was just inevitable they just kind of let it happen and yeah, over time, I guess there were certain horror movies, such as when I first got into the Evil Dead movies, uh, particularly the first one, which is probably the most graphic of the bunch. Uh, that kind of stunned, probably stunned them a bit. Uh, maybe more so my dad, not so much my mother. She's more, she's actually the bigger horror. She's up on par with me almost as a horror fan. Oh, really? My dad, not so much. And, you know, but over time, and of course, eventually got to that point when I start telling them about, you know, like a graphic scene uh, or I'll show them like a scene on my phone and you know, my mom might appreciate it. And then my dad will just look at her and you know, it'll kind of be that, 
this is your son. <laughs> kind of moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> or he's weird, you know, and stuff like that. But always in a loving way, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. Do they watch your movies? Uh, they do. And honestly, the first when I made Renaissance, I obviously made other films before that that didn't quite hit that mark for uh, you know disturbing people or scaring them. And so my dad, who does not like horror movies, save for a few. But always at the end of it saying, you know, it was good. And which I appreciated. I but I knew I had done something legitimate when I showed him Renaissance. And my mom loved it, you know. She was disturbed, but she loved it. And my dad was just like, That was freaking creepy. And so when it hit that, you know, that median of how he would normally react to a horror movie, that's when I knew I had uh done my done my job. And same thing happened with when we got to uh, Queen of the Dead when he, you know, just said it was freaking creepy. <laughs> but nonetheless, they've watched my films uh, regardless of the reactions, and you know, they they appreciate them and they support me as much as they can. <clears throat> Down to letting a few bits in our in our house. I mentioned uh, the severed limbs, which is people don't know the uh, the virtual festival we do as a watch party on our Facebook uh, group. And uh, and then you had your slasher uh, six for Halloween. Um, how how have how how do people see your your shorts normally? Have they played festivals? Uh, yeah, so they've actually mainly Renaissance and Queen of the Dead have been playing in festivals. Over uh, Renaissance has been like the last five years actually since it came out. It's oh, wow. continued to get <clears throat> asked to be submitted into festivals. And Queen of the Dead, which we completed back in two thousand eight. We finished shooting back in 2018, had a cut ready to go in 2019, and that's when it started its festival circuit. It's still uh, going strong. And then aside from that, most of my films are on my uh, YouTube channel, the uh, Slasher Films YouTube channel, which is a bit hard to find because the uh, URL is a bit garbled. (laughs) And then there's also, I have my own uh, website, the Slasher Films website. it's a Wix site, actually, which is a slasher-films.wixsite.com slash horror. And that's another place where people can watch my films as well. Uh, when did you decide, like, this is something I wanted to do? When did you first, like, uh, were you making stuff just with your friends before, you know, you film stuff that, you know, people could watch online? Uh, so I would say it was about 1999 when I was uh, – it was the weekend of my ninth birthday and it was my parents took me to Universal Studios and thinking about going on the studio tour and hearing seeing all the back lot and hearing how movies were made on that studio tour is what kind of got me thinking, this sounds interesting. I would like to do something like this. And and so from there at nine years old was when I decided and it wasn't until I was about fifteen that I actually made my first short film. Uh, with the only actors that I had at the time, uh, my parents, is I didn't, uh, I didn't have enough friends that were either horror fanatics or into film at that time until college. So I just relied on them at the time, and we produced this film called The Visitor, which is uh, thus next year I believe it turns 15 years old, and it's the film that no one sees for a reason because it's. <laughs> Film and it's 
not particularly uh, good. It's it's only it's a film I would only show to people if they were visiting me, and I felt like you've seen everything else. Here's this one. <laughs> Let me know what you think. But so from there, I continued. You know, I there was some gaps in between where I was trying to figure out different stories to write before I finally made uh, Blood of the Damned, uh, which was with friends that I met in college. And then I moved to the Art Institute of Orange County where I started making more films uh, after that. And that's actually where I made the bulk of my filmography, actually, in uh, film school. And that's where I met, met a lot of my uh, friends and current uh, collaborators to this day at, in about 2013. So, yeah, from about 2006 to now is generally been the bulk of my uh, filmmaking career. Uh, by the way, did you do anything for Halloween besides uh, Slasher 6, of course? Uh, yes, I actually did. Uh, I dressed up as Jack Nicholson's character, Jack Jack Torrance. From it was China. very, very good, I saw. Thank you. I'm glad you liked it. It's, uh, it was the only thing I could think of that seemed to fit the theme of the year, you know, with lockdown and such. And I uh, went to a friend's house uh, just to hang out and watch horror movies because I figured if I get dressed if I'm going to get dressed up, I might as well go somewhere. And so, yeah, I went to a friend's house and we spent the evening watching, uh, specifically we watched the uh, first troll movie and uh, trick or treat. And uh, this was my first time seeing this, uh, the gate actually. Oh, gate's a good movie. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. I used to rent it a lot as a kid on VHS. Man, this it's really well done. The stop motion effects are amazing in that movie too. Yeah, I'm a big fan of stop motion. Yeah, it's very fun. I got dressed up and just walked around town, but probably stupid. <laughs> uh, Tristan, you have a question for Justin. Yeah, Justin, can you tell us more about Slasher Films and what your mission is with that? Most definitely. So Slasher Films, of course, uh, started with my first film, The Visitor, that uh, came about because of, at that time, I was becoming a fan of both Hammer Films, the British horror company from the 50s and 60s, and also Slasher Films. And I kind of wanted to name my, have a production company that had a similar name to that. And so that's where Slasher Films came in, uh, which has from thenceforth always been the machete logo that you, of course, see in the shirt here. And from there, it's... Basically, the mission has been, ever since then, to basically deliver this old-school blend of uh, horror. Not necessarily just making films where it's derivative of those films. It, it pays homage while also delivering our own take on those kinds of films. And so it's always... The other thing that we've also strived on is to basically just give uh, audiences, you know, show, show them something that they haven't seen before even if it's a gothic horror film it'll be in a way that they haven't seen it before or a body horror film in a way that they haven't seen it before or even a zombie film and so and it actually wasn't until a couple of years ago that i finally came up with the uh slogan which was uh slashing up audiences since 2006 and recently on the uh, slasher six halloween marathon i came up with the slasher tv uh slogan which was slashing our way into your home. <laughs> it works. So what, what are some of your favorite Hammer films? Uh, 
So off the top of my head, uh, I'll let's see if I can put together a top five because uh, top ten would be uh, too difficult. <laughs> so number one would have to be uh, the horror of Dracula, followed by the Curse of Frankenstein, uh, the Mummy, the Curse of the Werewolf, and there's one I'm blanking on. I'm blanking. <laughs> I guess I would have to say uh, Night Creatures has actually always kind of held a special place in my heart, which is known in the UK as uh, Captain Clegg. I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, uh, when Troy comes back, we'll ask him because he, he's a bigger horror, a Hammer fan than I. Uh, yeah, not that I'm not a fan. I'm actually just not have seen a lot of them, which uh, I'm a bad horror host. I should uh, catch up on Hammer films. <laughs> they're, they're amazing films. It's when you understand that, they were made on low budgets, but then you look at what they were able to accomplish with the set design and the cinematography and the music. And of course the performances generally from, uh, typically from Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, but there were of course other actors in that. They're just amazing, amazing movies, especially, uh, those first three, which were the ones that founded that whole movement, uh, horror, Dracula, Curse of Frankenstein, the mummy, which feature that, uh, that duo, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. What what were what was it about them? Like, the, is it the performances? What is it about them that captures you? Oh, it was uh, it was the performances as well as uh, every single one of those movies. The uh, the sets looked amazing, and and again, this was thinking about the fact that these were low budget and just seeing what they were able to do. And what especially got me was I first saw these movies in high school, and this was when I was getting into not only horror films but also reading up on horror movie history and understanding how different time periods in horror typically worked, what was the norm for most horror movies. And so seeing these movies that came out in the 50s, 60s, and knowing that movies from that time period typically didn't have a lot of blood or uh, gore or anything like that, and then to see something like Rise of Dracula for the first time, where there's like a graphic staking in the movie, and I was just like, wow, that's in this movie at this time. This is, And you see the way that the actresses are uh, dressed, bearing uh, heavy amounts of cleavage, which is also something else that you don't think of that time period as having uh, in movies. And here, here it is in these movies from uh, the UK. And so it was just all these things that you would see in later movies that you're seeing in a movie from this time period that, especially caught me on top of the sets, the performances and the color photography. And just the fact that you were seeing something different from what uh, Universal studios had offered in the thirties. It was a, it was a nice kind of alternate universe of that. When you watch movies from that era, um, without just making something that looks like that from that era, uh, can you incorporate things, you know, into a modern film? Uh, I'm, I'm actually not sure I understood the question. Like, so if you watch a movie like that, can you pick up on some things that you would like to use in your own movie without, in, without just like, I'm making a movie that looks like it's from 1960, but something fr- from okay. those movies that like, Hey, this worked then and you don't really see it so much. Now I can make that in a modern movie today. Uh, most definitely. Actually, that's actually been typically the foundation of my work. It is seeing those old horror movies and finding something to pull from that to do in a different way and uh, blow the damned in particular, which again was part of the slasher six Halloween marathon uh, did pull little bits and pieces from those hammer films 
uh, but doing it in a modern context, or even uh, something like uh, Renaissance actually was heavily inspired by this Roman Polanski horror movie, Repulsion, and that was pulling things from that movie uh, left and right, but doing it in our own way to where it wasn't derivative and it wasn't copying that movie, and that sometimes it was almost paying homage as well. So, yeah, it's typically seeing older horror movies like that or even a few uh, closer to our era uh, horror movies tend to, do tend to get the ball, get the uh, hamster wheel turning as I'm writing the script. <laughs> uh, Troy, when you were gone, we were talking about uh, Hammer horror films. Uh, did you have any favorites? Sorry. To um, let me see. Uh, I'll talk. Snap, snacking. My new obsession, uh, smart food snickerdoodle popcorn. It's amazing. Oh, that sounds good. Mm. Um, I had an apple. But as far as a hammer goes, just about every, uh, any kind of Lee and Cushing thing, um, the first Frankenstein they did, I think, is it the horror of Frankenstein? Curse. Curse of Frankenstein. It's tremendous. I love that one. A- anything with Cushing as, as Dr. Frankenstein, I think he's just so perfect. Um, he's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. He was just a man. And I, I love the mummy from them. Um, then some of the later ones where they do like a, oh, what is it? The, oh, it's the one with Lee with um, the, uh, there's a cult of, of devil worshippers, like the devil rides in or the devil rides out. Devil rides out. That's it, yeah. And that one's so good too. If you ever get a chance to, in London, they have the, the Hammer Horror Museum, and they have, like, so many of the props and, like, just oh, just little things that you've seen in, like, every Hammer film you've ever ever watched. And it's it's so much fun just to take a walk through. Yeah, I was in London. I didn't go to that. I told you to, but you you did not obey. No, I remember yeah, when I got can't back, go wrong with the hammer. Horror. Troy asked me, like, did you go here, here? I was like, no. He's like, what did you even do? <laughs> <laughs> like, I was trapped at a film festival. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was, well, at the time, I was drinking a lot. So it was mostly in pubs, old pubs. Yeah. Uh, Joe wants to know, what does Justin have in store to begin shooting once the pandemic issues have passed? Uh, I'm actually with the... Uh, a writer friend of mine, uh, Brandon Peterson, we're writing a script right now. It's a Christmas horror movie called uh, White Elephants, which is going to be both mine and his uh, first feature film oh, that nice. we're working on together. And not to give too much away, but it has to do with a, uh, a rabies outbreak that happens at this Christmas party as a result of these kids, these uh, throwing a party where they basically had ecstasy that had rabies mysteriously thrown into the mix. Interesting. I have a soft spot for uh, Christmas horror. Long-time listeners know. I like even some of the worst ones, like elves. But uh, I'm a big fan of Christmas horror in general. There's something about them. I don't know. I like them. But, so I'm looking forward to this. And that's going to be exciting to make your first feature. Most definitely. And it's, uh, you know, it's both, a, it's both a scary and exciting challenge because it's going from 
you know, shooting a short film where you could easily say, okay, I'll have this shot, you know, in a few months and it'll be done by the end of the year. And, you know, the feature, it's a little more time consuming, but there is, it's an exciting prospect nonetheless, because it's, it, especially for us, it's, it's progressing forward. It's moving forward in our career. So that's something we're both looking forward to. Uh, AJ wants to know, uh, is there any advice you can give to young aspiring actors who love everything about horror? Uh, oh, I guess he's talking about his son. Sorry. Uh, he loves to write horror stories. He's 10 now and uh, been doing it for a few years. Oh, man. <laughs> See if I had to give any. Uh, I was thinking it's a very specific uh, question, like you know, advice very... for a ten-year-old. Then I realized that it was about. Uh... This is about uh, writing horror stories. Uh, I would say just this is the best advice I can give: is uh, you know, write what's write what's just write what feels right. Write what's in your heart that you have this story, this premise. Uh, you know, and just. Just write it. Get a get a pen and paper and just write it down. Don't even if you know, say you were to tell it to some people and maybe they tell you that it won't work. You know, just do it anyway. It's whether the story works or uh, doesn't. Just keep writing until you find that one that uh, does, and just keep pushing your goals. Because basically, filmmaking is about you know you're going to start out and things aren't going to magically just work right off the bat. My for some, but not for everybody. I, it didn't work for me right off the bat uh, until I had basically tried tried at it a few times. And so it's one of those things I feel like no matter what you're doing, no matter what story it is, just tell it the best way you know. And if it doesn't work, try another one until you get that one that does work. And then you said there, there you I'm sorry, I don't want to trip. I was just going to say real quick though, you said about you'll know, get the story out there, write it down. And uh, you didn't bring up like the structure of a script, which I found interesting because sometimes I'll I'll see like people discussing this online, and some people really be fixated on you know how to structure a script, and then I have friends uh, who say you know it's really important just to get your ideas out there. You can worry about the structure of the script, you know how to technically put a script together after you actually have the idea out there. Almost oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, most definitely. I mean, if between the two films that you saw at uh, Severed Limbs, uh, those represent the typical structure of my films, which is character starts here. You don't see how they got to this point. You just see where they're at. And then from there, you you get the backtracking of what brought them to that point in their life. And so that's where, you know, it's ultimately structure is up to the person writing the story. It's, because again, it all comes under the heading of however you see fit to tell this story is how you should tell it. Because I've had people that have read my scripts that have looked at them and said, no, this is confusing. You should not tell it in this way. And then when I show the film later at a film fest, it ends up working for everybody. So it's, it's one of those things that, you know, you won't know what works until you just, you just try it, regardless of what people say. Uh, Tris, do you have a question? Um, I do have a question, but I want to piggyback on what Justin is saying because, you know, as an actor, uh, I find the same to be true. Uh, and 
I would guarantee that most creatives that are persevering have a, a similar um, journey. So as an actor, I, I know tons of actors. I have lots of friends, people I respect, people that I love, and people that I just don't listen to. Because when you have a vision or you have work, it's personal, right? And so other people can't tell you how to tell your story. Other people can't homogenize you. Don't let anyone homogenize you, right? You have stories that other people can't tell. And um, it's very important what Justin is saying because these days with the internet, if you, if, if you can't, people might criticize you before you have a chance to get better and better at what you've done, right? I've had the pleasure of seeing Justin's evolution, right? He, and it's an amazing one. It's an amazing arc, right? And so you have to practice to get better and you have to keep at it and you just have to drown out those voices. Um, that's very important. Uh, thank you, Justin. So my question is, uh, Justin, for people that have missed your marathon, is it gone forever? Will you do another one? Is there any way they can see it? Uh, so for anyone that knows, uh, basically, you know, I would say it comes down to finding me on uh, Facebook at, at this point, cause it, I will have the marathon on Google drive for a little while for anyone that does want to see it. And I have thought about the prospect of doing other marathons on a yearly basis, such as what I did here. It's now but it's gotten down to trying to figure out whether I want to just either repost that same marathon or do a new one or possibly do those same films just in a different order with new commercials. Uh, so, but as far as where they can find the film, uh, just find me on Facebook or even send a message to the Slasher Films uh, Facebook page and I will uh, send you the link uh, from Google Drive, or I might when I finally do get it on Google Drive, I can also post it on the uh, Without Your Head Horror and Beyond uh, Facebook page as well. Very good. Thank yeah, you. You're always welcome to post there. Who's that? <laughs> uh, Troy, did you have a question? I'm trying to pull something up here. Troy. Oh, but I. I I had a comment. I just that um, I just I love the use of uh, black and white in the, in in the longer of the shorts, and uh, I just I just thought that was so great. Thanks, thanks, Troy. Glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> I did. I liked it. Right. Sorry about that, but I had to pull something up because I do want to announce something. So we talked about severed limbs a couple times. And I normally wait to, to announce these. But we do have an announcement here since we've just it on the line. The winner of the Robin Hardy Award for Best Director this year is Justin B. Head for Queen of the Dead. Oh, the man, that's, well, that's great. Outstanding. I love that. I'm honored. And that is uh, by Troy. Did the artwork? That's that's amazing, and and I love the <laughs> the link up, especially with Robin Hardy being the director of Wicker Man, and it fits with Queen of the Dead. So I'm honored, guys. Thank you. That's 
That's awesome. And it was, it, that well, was uh, voted by uh, the people who watched the film. So it wasn't like uh, we picked it ourselves. We may or may not yeah. have voted. Who knows? But uh, actually, I don't think any of us did vote. But um, and not that we wouldn't have voted for it. I'm just saying that it's uh, you know right. that it's the people who actually watch the uh, the uh, keep it on the up and up. Yeah, most yeah. definitely. No, I'm, I'm flattered and I'm honored. That's that's amazing. Thank you. You're welcome. It was very cool to see uh, a lot of people voting. And I'm very excited. I had no idea, Justin. Yeah, no one did. That's I kept awesome. it a secret. I was. Uh, yep. I was and debating to one. say it tonight or wait till uh, tell you know put up all the words, but I thought it'd be fun to do on the show. Yeah, it's pretty cool having you having them here and everything. So that's great. Yeah, and uh, we named all the awards after um, former guests of ours that had uh, passed away. So that's what that's uh, Robin Hardy one. But it really, it's unfortunate. He was made, he was trying to make the third Wicker Man uh, when he passed away when we had him on the show. Um, so he never finished the, the third one. But he had the That's script right. and the idea for it. That's right, because he also did a Wicker Tree, which I, I haven't gotten around to seeing that one yet, but I do need to at some point. It's worth seeing, you know, uh, you know, because it's a sequel, but it's it's not the Wicker Man. But the Wick, Wicker Man really – I'm glad that – well, I think Wicker Man's gotten more attention in the last few years because I, I think it was, wasn't really well known, you know, when I was younger. It's honestly, it's a movie where I, I've seen bits and pieces of the Nicolas Cage remake, and I know that that has a fan base, but that's been a movie that I've since uh, shunned uh, for the last few years, and it's not because of the fact that they remade one of my favorite horror movies. It's the fact that when I've talked to people who are fans of that remake, and I've told them, oh, well, yeah, that's great, but you should really check out this other horror, the re- the original that's actually really good and really well done and it's a great comment on uh, you know the occult and and religion in general and he's and they'll just be like no no I don't want to watch that I want to watch the and it always perplexes me because I'm like so you want to continue watching a bad movie rather than a good horror movie and that's the point where I was just like I will never sit down and watch that remake in its entirety I will stick with bits that I saw and that's it and it's such an original movie, and uh, uh, I know some people don't like because of the music, and but I mean I think all of that is perfect for the film. Yeah, I don't know what's not to like about it. I mean, even have Christopher Lee in a dress. How cool is that? His favorite performance of all of his performances. Yep, yep. And yep. Edward Woodward, he's so good in it and stuff. Just everything about that movie alone. He was happy to see it a few years ago. Uh, it was probably more than a few years ago. Was, uh, well, anyway, years ago, uh, and they showed in 35 millimeter at the Coolidge. That was really cool to see on the big screen. Uh, Joe says that there's one good thing about the Cage version is that it made people aware of the original. But like you're saying, sometimes that doesn't always work out. Sometimes people do seek it out, but then, like you said, there's people that, like I know people that just won't watch, you know, black and white movies or, you know, movies that they think are old. True. I mean, there's some people that uh, have are still not aware to this day that the John Carpenter version of the thing is a remake of a '50s B movie, and you know, and that's kind of one of those where I I tend to have to tell people about that one here and there, even though it's, that's actually not one that I I push for as much as the Wicker Man. But I do tell people here and there you should check out the thing from another world. It's it's still pretty good. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the John Carpenter thing is phenomenal, but the original thing that it uh, spawned from is also worth watching and worth checking out. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when they did the prequel, you know, again, people thought it was a, well, people thought it was a remake of, like you said, a lot of people didn't even know this was, a, it was a, a remake of a movie to begin with. And the worst one, though, is that when they did the new Mummy to the Tom Cruise Mummy, and I saw people online saying that it was a remake of the Brendan Fraser movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Unfriend. <laughs> Or at least unfollow, unfollow. unfollow man. <laughs> I think that's justified at that point. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've told this story before, but uh, I was taking an Uber home one time too, and the and the it was he probably like twenty year old guy, and he asked me what where I was coming from, and I was coming from Boston, and I had just seen the original um, Frankenstein as part of a twelve hour horror movie marathon, and he's like, oh, oh nice. yeah, I saw that, and he started to explain the movie, and I was like. He's talking about young Frankenstein. And he's like, yeah, it's real old funny. And, like, and he's talking about, he thought it was the young Frankenstein was really, which I guess it was old to him, but I didn't bother correcting him. I was just like, oh, let's just get to my house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just move on. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so when you were, uh, when you were watching all the horror movies, what were some of the ones that stuck out to you? Do, do, well, I guess, what are your favorite horror movies? Uh, you're talking about, uh, just in general, or uh, uh, yeah, in general, favorite horror movies of all time. Yeah. Uh, so I do have a top ten. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it's uh, Bride of Frankenstein, uh, Dario Argento's Suspiria, Halloween, uh, Jaws, John Carpenter's The Thing, An American Werewolf in London, uh, Psycho, The Shining, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I know I'm missing one. Oh, Dracula, the uh, 1932 version, 1931 version with Bela Lugosi. I can't argue with any of them. Yes, that was a very legitimate top ten. <laughs> no. And having them off the top of your head, I'm impressed. You know, for me, it's always right down the list. He has a teleprompter there. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'm give away the magician secrets. No. I thought he had a cat over there. Although the cat might have told him. That's why David's always over there. He's holding Trista's notes. Like, oh, He's way too lazy. <laughs> I got to teach NATO how to do that. I mean, whenever I give off that list, it's always... I'll remember nine out of the ten usually. There will always be that one that I forget. I'm sad, I'm sad that it's never the same one because that would probably make it easier to remember what that one is, but it's it's a different one each time I forget. Yeah. How about we offer, like, modern stuff? Uh, they don't have to be in your top ten, but uh, uh, what are some modern movies that, that stuck with you? So, yeah, actually, some uh, modern horror movies that have actually stuck with me in the la- that I've seen in the last few years have been and I guess to varying degree, whether you consider these horror or not, they have some of the elements enough that I consider them. But it's been movies like uh, uh, two from Robert Eggers, actually, uh, The Witch and uh, The Lighthouse. Loved uh, both of those. As well as um, Midsommar, I thought was fantastic. I'm a big fan of Midsommar. And uh, two recent ones uh, with Nicolas Cage, uh, 
Mandy and The Color Out of Space, which was one of the few movies I got to see in a theater this year before lockdown <laughs> happened. Uh, as far as other modern horror movies, I'm trying to think. There's been uh, Krampus, uh, another one from the director of Trick or Treat, um, Michael Doherty, and then um, even uh, something like Eli Roth's Green Inferno I actually really enjoyed as just a guilty pleasure. Oh, and uh, Guillermo del Toro's uh, Crimson Peak and Shape of Water were two other ones that I really loved. Yeah, I love Shape of Water. Troy, Troy likes that Crimson Peak, too, I believe. I it's, love that. Very few del Toro things I don't like. I think besides, like, the giant robot movie, I don't know if there's anything that he's made that I haven't liked. Uh, Mimic kind of rides that line of uh, not, definitely not being as good as some of the other ones, for sure. Yeah. I'm not sure if I've seen Mimic. Maybe I did. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like the monster that takes form of the people. That's the one, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It was yeah. His, uh, it's like a big bug, I think, right? Kind of like the Mothman, I guess. Yeah. 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 Which I, I took a picture today. I saw a Mothman uh, pumpkin someone had nice. in, their, in their yard. So I was hoping they didn't think I was creepy. I walked up in the yard and took a picture of their pumpkin. But they probably think I'm creepy anyway. Uh, Mandy, I wish I would have saw in a theater because uh, I, I love Mandy too. And um, I think not just the visuals, but I think the sound of Mandy would have uh, been a great experience in a movie theater. Oh, it's uh, it's phenomenal. And I saw that... Uh... <clears throat> At this theater near me, the Frida Cinema. In, this is an uh, amazing theater. Let me interrupt. No worries, go ahead. Well, no, Justin finished, but then we have to tell them about the Frida because it's a really special place. Oh, most definitely. It's uh, it's a theater that, again, before lockdown, I was going on a pretty regular basis because they show a lot of older movies and a uh, lot of indie movies, specifically indie horror movies. Oh. Which another one that I just remembered? Uh, the tigers are not afraid. Oh, uh, that came up yeah, the other day in the interview that, awesome. that we did. Yeah, I love that movie too. Yep. Um, but Mandy, I actually saw three times at that theater. Uh, first, it was uh, the week its first release with a couple of friends that I had no initially no interest in seeing it actually because the trailer didn't really sell me. But I had a couple of friends who wanted to see it because of Nicolas Cage and. I was like, okay, well, the Frida is showing it. Let's go see it there. And at the end of that screening, I was the only one of that group that absolutely loved the movie. <laughs> but I ended up, because they showed it two more times uh, the very next year, uh, far apart, in February and October. And I went with one of each of those two friends to both of those screenings. And after both of those screenings, both of them came away uh, loving the movie afterwards on that second viewing, so that was <laughs> so that was kind of an interesting way to get get more fans on board with the movie. Yeah, I love it too. I know some people who uh, they're not into the beginning because they think it's slow or whatever, but uh, the whole movie works for me. You can't have a non a movie that's nonstop. You know, well, it's pretty much crazy the whole movie, but you know what I'm saying. You can't have just nonstop killing the whole movie. Most definitely. But yeah, that's oh, awesome. Which, uh, and I think it real it's a movie that really uh showcases Nick Cage, Nicolas Cage, uh perfectly without being like 
hey, look, it's Nick Cage being crazy. Like, it really incorporates him into the story, I think. It does. And even in those early points when he's not a, as crazy as he would be, you know, in any other movie or in the latter half, it's it still works because you're – I mean, also, you are still getting the little Nicolas Cage quirks here and there, but just dialed down for that first half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then you get full-on Nicolas Cage at the end. But. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like this movie Parents. As a Parents, I think it's called? Mom and Dad. Mom and Dad, Mom that's and Dad. it. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's as good as Mandy, but I thought it was a good movie. I agree. I love Nick Cage. Oh, but uh, Trista, you had some things to say about the, uh, the oh, freedom. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we should explain the freedom to them because it's, it's really like they call it a 24-hour film festival, and it's a non-profit. And um, they show amazing films, and even Justin, uh, they also, they uh, the name's escaping me, but I go all the time, they have a horror festival that they do four times a year there, I'm sure I'll remember what it is. Um, uh, but I go all the Horrible Imaginings. Yes, Horrible oh, Imaginings. Oh yeah, that happened just recently, I think. Uh, well, they do they do it like quarterly, and it's okay. great. And and Justin even had a film festival there too, right? Wasn't that the Frida? I think I was there. We did. It was actually, um, so it was a, a bunch of myself and my film friends from film school. We put together a film festival of the films that we had made since we had been out of film school. And it was all put together by us. We funded the festival uh, ourselves with some help here and there. And we went through the trouble of talking to the Frida about doing uh this festival at their theater in a three hour block for people to come and see our films. And it was called the La Condina Film Festival, which is uh, Spanish for uh, basically it's the money pool. It's basically where everybody pulls in their resources to uh, help somebody out. And so in this case, the film festival was our way of pulling in our resources to help get some of our friends uh, work out there and also showing in a theater where we hadn't done something like that since uh, film school when we would actually show our stuff in our old uh, uh, video studio or even a brief time that they did get the Freedom Cinema to help out with screening some of the short films. And so, yeah, one of the films that was shown among that lot was uh, Queen of the Dead, uh, which Tristan and quite a few of the other uh, cast and crew members uh, came by for as well. I just pulled it up uh, by people interested. It's uh, the freedacinema.org, the website, and that's uh, Frida, F-R-I-D-A. Yeah, and they've got a lot of stuff uh, actually coming up in November. Uh, November 10th is not that long from now. The Lost Boys, uh, Friday 13th next week. Uh, they're showing Friday 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. That'll be fun. Eraserhead's yeah. coming up. Perfect uh, midnight movie. I'm very tempted to do that one myself. That'll be my third time seeing that in the theater, actually. <laughs> that was so much fun. I October's there at the, at the Frida. I didn't this year, but yeah. I usually do. They show great old horror movies. What did you say, Troy? I said that's, that one's always great at like a theater, too. So I remember we used to go up to Boston a lot to see that and um, stop making sense. They'd always show the two of them at like, like midnight movies. So we just go and watch all the time. I remember when I was a kid, uh, Troy was a huge, uh, if you don't know, Troy and I are brothers. But when I was a kid, uh, uh, Troy was a huge Racerhead fan. Before it was like cool to be an Eraserhead fan, I think. 
Oh, it was like the OG. Uh, I'll be honest, I hated yeah. the movie when I was a kid. I was like, what is this oh, did garbage? You? Oh, yeah, I couldn't stand it. But, uh, yeah, I'm, not, I'm actually not even going to say I'm a big fan of it now. But it is, uh, it is something you should go see in the theater at least once. I saw a midnight movie uh, quite a while ago, but it was, it's an interesting experience. I can't say I actually like the movie, but it is, uh, it is interesting to watch. I would say. And the New York landmark, uh, in Los Angeles actually shows or at least before lockdown would show the movie as a a yearly midnight movie usually in the fall and I went to one of those screenings actually my Halloween costume that particular year was the main character for Eraserhead and I actually went so far as to make the baby from Eraserhead as a prop that's pretty cool I thought you were going to say Trista went as the baby. That would have been. (laughs) (laughs) I should have made her a list last week. The the racer had baby. (laughs) I'm not that good of a friend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you don't know, uh, Justin, last week we did the 13 uh, uh, horror movie. It was supposed to be a horror movie, but our our guest on the show took a different direction. But it's supposed to be the horror movies that we wanted to... uh, Dress up as for Halloween. Oh, nice! So, I guess if put you on the spot, do you have any like dream Halloween costumes that you would like to dress up as in the future? Usually, I have that list. Uh, He's got a list head, everywhere. But... He's a list man. We got to get him on for a thirteen. Uh, He'd be perfect for the for the list. Most definitely, it's uh, one that I've actually. What does that? He, no preparation. Out. He'll just pull it out. Be like, oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, but one that I have actually thought about doing for years is uh, the Phantom from uh, Phantom of the Paradise. Oh, okay. Oh, Interesting. Nice. Interesting. Yeah, Winslow Leach uh, Phantom. I thought about doing that for years because I just I love the costume. I love the uh, the very bird-like mask and that black uh, jumpsuit with the black cape. It's, it's just a fantastic costume and I've always thought that'd be a fun one to do. That or even uh, Harry Warden from uh, My Bloody Valentine would be another one that I would love to do at some point. I think that's one of the most underrated slashers ever. The movie itself Harry. and the killer and an amazing theme song. The Ballad of Harry Warden, one of yeah, my favorites. <laughs> I agree. It's awesome. My mom just watched, or Troy and I's mom just watched it recently. And I was like, are you, is this My Bloody Valentine you watch? And she's like, and she said she'd never seen it, but I don't know. I saw it a million times as a kid, so I assume she'd seen it. But Yeah, it's, I, uh, it's a yearly tradition on Valentine's Day for me to watch that movie, so. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget. Yeah, we had the, the director on a couple times, but the first time we had him on, we, uh, it was for Valentine's Day, and we are recording on Valentine's Day. And uh, I'd asked him when he thought of the remake because the re- it was just the news just came out that the remake they were making the remake, and he was like he didn't know about it. So we broke the news to him that they were remaking his own film. It was a very strange, strange oh. experience on the show. I don't think he was particularly happy, but very weird. Oh. That's a remake. I don't think it's necessarily bad, but it just seems unnecessary. It's just like this. It's they just made the movie again, only like in present day. Pretty much, it's there's not too many differences in that movie, and the one thing that I do appreciate about it is that it's regardless of it being a remake, it it feels like an '80s horror movie, which I do appreciate. And I mean, down to having Tom Atkins in it, 
uh, as a police inspector in the movie, on on par with say uh, Night of the Creeps, is just fantastic. Tom Atkins makes everything better. Oh yeah, I agree. I'm a huge fan of Tom Atkins. I like that he just every movie's in the women just. Go like right to bed with Tom Atkins. I, I don't know. I guess maybe he's a sexy. He's a sexy beast, you know. That's what it is. <laughs> what do I know? I don't know. He's he one of the few people that hasn't slept with Tom Atkins. You know? <laughs> I did get a video interview with him at a convention, and he doesn't do a lot of them. Right. I'm not saying how it came about, but <laughs> was that still during your drinking days? <laughs> it was actually. And well, by the way. I know I've mentioned this before, but the memes that go around and it says Tom Atkins does not give a shit or fuck, they paraphrase it. What you think of Halloween 3 is from my video interview with Tom Atkins. If memes would, would credit where they get the quote, without your head would be all over the place on these Tom Atkins memes. I warned you. Justin, that you might go on an angry rant. (laughs) (laughs) It needs to happen more often on the show. (laughs) I've been trying to be a nice guy here since when Tristan stretched to join, but all right. Important things are going on in the world, and you right. Tom Atkins, (laughs) me. Oh, (laughs) these are the important things. But it was very funny when I asked him. It, I, I thought it was a good question. I was just like, you know, people didn't use. Now it's like it's gro- people are starting to like this movie now. I forget how I phrased it, and he just looked at me and goes, "I don't give a shit what people think of Halloween 3. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, that's pretty awesome." <laughs> so, did you you have how many lists do you have? I am interested in this. Oh, I'm sorry. What was the question? The list. You have a list of lists. I mean, there are different lists. Certainly, it's uh, off the top of my head. There's so there's my top ten horror movies list. There's also my top ten favorite movies of all time, uh, which is just each movie is one movie from each genre, and then even this is one that I cannot. Uh, I cannot give you any of the movies on the list because it's just too much. So on top of the top 10, there's also my top 200. The top 10 is what I tell most people what my favorite movies of all time are. And for the movies that I couldn't include in that top 10, I made a special uh, top 200 where it's 20 genres, each one with their own top 10. And the first 10... uh, (laughs) The first 10 genres are the ones that made it into the top 10. The, the number one on each one is what made it into my top 10. Interesting. And so, and briefly, I'll give you the top 10 favorite movies of all time, which include uh, Apocalypse Now, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, uh, Terminator 2, Young Frankenstein, Taxi Driver, uh, Bride of Frankenstein, Blade Runner, Blue Velvet, Touch of Evil, and the original 1954 Godzilla. Interesting. One of those movies may be my favorite movie. 
Which one is it? <laughs> Any guesses? Troy might know. I don't know. Top three, anyway. It depends um, on my mood. But sometimes I say it's my favorite movie. I'd be Taxi Driver. Yeah, Taxi Driver. Is it Bride of Frankenstein? Taxi Driver. But Bride of Frankenstein's great. Yeah. Taxi Driver is phenomenal. That's, that's another Halloween costume I did one year. Oh, really? I could I could see that. Yep. I like that. <laughs> the military. I don't know. That, that does seem strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you seem a little unhinged. It's probably you, Neil. You're the one that was unhinged. <laughs> I am God's lonely man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Mohawk and everything. It's. Uh, I was going to ask if you went. I, I in my mind, I pictured Mohawk in the military jacket, but I didn't want to. You know, I didn't no want to assume. Uh, yeah. And I actually did have an uh, interesting situation where, uh, so in in L.A., there's a theater called the New Beverly Cinema, owned by Quentin Tarantino, and this was when I was still wearing the jacket just on a regular basis. It has. Uh, the patches, just like in the movie, and it has uh, the button, the We Are the People button. And I went to see uh, Grindhouse at the New Bev. Quentin Tarantino was actually there in person. And so I went up to introduce myself, and the first thing that he said as soon as he saw me was he saw the button, and he just started laughing so hard about the We Are the People button. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. I did. I have been to the New Bev. I was, that, was a, that was a fun experience. It's a great theater. It's been there multiple times over the years. Yeah, I've only been to LA a few times, so but it was cool to get to the new Bev. I think it was on uh, Christmas Eve to see. Yeah, it was Christmas Eve to see. Um, was it Die Hard? Die Hard, yeah. Yeah, that's their. Usually, when they're open, that's their uh, Christmas Eve movie for sure. And then on uh, Tuesdays, usually depending on what day Christmas is. If Christmas is on a Friday, they'll show it this, that Tuesday. And if Christmas falls on a, a Saturday or even a Monday, they'll do it on the Tuesday the week before, but there's this double feature they do every year. It's the original Black Christmas and Silent Night, Deadly Nights. Oh, nice. And before both movies, they show actually a clip from the, the 1970s Tales from the Crypt movie which is the Christmas segment that was remade for the TV series in the 90s. That one's so great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really like both versions, and they're both uh, very different. Yeah, the very over-the-top, uh, for the TV show, he's very over-the-top, the, the Santa. Oh, yeah. And very cartoony. And then uh, in the in the old movie, he's, like, very realistic and very grimy. And, well, oh, he's grimy. a creepy Santa. That might be the creepiest Santa ever. Oh, very. It's even creepier than the one in the 90s series. Well, one yeah. the series I think series, he, that'd probably be like realistic. That was probably what an escaped uh, killer Santa would look like. I don't you know have a that. creepy Santa list, Justin? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, there's that. There's that Santa from Tales from the Crypt. There's also uh, the... Billy Caldwell from Sinai Deadly Night <laughs> is another one. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about it. There's, I've seen a lot of Christmas horror movies, not enough that feature Santa. So I guess I can't think, oh, you know what? I take, I take that back. It's not a horror movie, but the Santa and a Christmas story 
is pretty damn creepy. <laughs> I agree. Mm-hmm. Especially in those even Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places is a little creepy. Oh yeah, yeah, he's a good creep. He's got like he's got like meat like in his pockets and stuff. Bad Santa, oh. but yeah, I think I just like Christmas movies. No, I think about it. It's sure not just is. Christmas horror. We have to change the whole podcast. <laughs> I do, um, I do. But maybe that would be a good show at some time. I know we have a doctor show coming up for December, but. 13 uh, Christmas horror movies would be a good one, too. That'd be interesting. It's a whole month. We could do more than one. If if Trista allows it. I'll allow it. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> one time. <laughs> By the way, people have asked on, on the YouTube comments, uh, do you know whose hand that is on uh, Vincent Price's neck? I think it's. I think that's what I would thought too, and then I thought maybe I was mistaken since so many people asked. Oh no, it's his. Yeah, yeah. that's what I, I was thinking. I about wouldn't too. allow anyone else to choke Vincent Price. Exactly. I don't think anyone would even attempt to choke Vincent Price. No, I don't. No, definitely not. He's he's too much of a prize. He's just everything he did with Roger Corman is phenomenal. Oh yeah. You have a favorite Vincent Price role? Uh, I would have to probably say Roderick Usher from The Fall of uh, the House of Usher. That's a good one. That's a great That's... one. Mine's definitely so, Fives. Also... But... I do love Fives. Oh, Fives is also great. I love him in, um... oh, what's the one where he's the Shakespearean actor? Oh. I love oh. that one, too. The name is escaping me right now. Theater of Blood. Theater, yeah. Yes. Yeah, Theater of Blood. He's so I great. I love that, that one as well. I love that yeah. too. Well, that Diana Rigg was his Diana daughter Rigg. in that one. Yeah. The late, great Diana Rigg. Oh, yes. And also another uh, great one with uh, Mr. Price, uh, Comedy of Terrors. With him and Peter Laurie and uh, Basil Rathbone and Boris Karloff. Yep, that one's so good too. Do you have a favorite, Trista? I'm sorry to ask why you're drinking your tea. No, it's okay. I feel um, I feel bad saying it, but Edward Scissorhands is one of my favorite movies. No, that's I know cool. he's not in it very much. Yeah, but it's but cool. I love it, and I love that he's in it. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good pick. I thought you were going to say that Thriller was, uh, or something. but That introduced me to Mr. Uh, Price, actually, that movie. So. Oh, really? Probably did a lot, you know, a lot of younger people. Uh, a lot think, of people, you know? yeah. It is really cool to think about, you know, someone from really from another era, you know, in a in a fa- mo- fairly modern movie. Exactly. And uh, Tim Burton said that the thing that helped him with making uh, Ed Wood, which is about the friendship between Edward D. Wood Jr. and Bela Lugosi, was the fact that he did become close friends with Vincent Price before his passing during oh, the making oh. of you know, Vincent and uh, Edward Scissorhands, so so he kind of related to that. He's supposed to be a good chef, too. I thought it'd be fun to do some Vincent Price, uh, if I could find any Vincent Price recipes uh, for a video show or something. He was also a connoisseur of art, I understand, as well. Did Troy say... I yeah, think he was... He was no, no, he was, he was just... Uh, 
he was kind of like that weird Renaissance man kind of guy because he was he was a big um, wine aficionado <clears throat> and everything. You you can still get a couple of uh, Price cookbooks. You can you find can? them every now and then. Yeah, yep. I would like I to do. I'd like to do Vincent Price like uh, the seventies. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do some Vincent Price uh, recipes and video them. I think would be fun. That, that would oh, be awesome. Joe here in the chat room says he has his cookbook. Oh wow! Oh, does he? Yeah. That's, Maybe that's he can he can lend sure. it to me. Not give it to me. He can lend it. <laughs> but I remember when we were kids. Well, I was very young, so it was Troy had it, and then I played when when I was a kid. Was he had the Vincent Price trunk and head kit, and it was amazing. There were it was. Oh. It was basically like a lamp, which they you probably, you know, back then they let kids play with, with like electric lamps. They probably wouldn't today. And you put an apple on it and it would dry the apple out and you put little beads and stuff and you'd make a shrunken head out of apples. And it really? had the hair. Yeah, it was awesome. Oh, it was so great. Yeah. You'd get the little beads for the eyes and it would show you, it would have like a little, um, Oh, look it up quick. like a template to make like where to cut out for the cheeks and the mouth and everything. Oh. It was so great. It was we we had shrunken heads all over the house and they smelled so good because they were dried apples. This is like a dream. <laughs> <laughs> See, the seventies were a good time to be a kid. Yeah. <laughs> because Price, he 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 had ads for like so many different things. I mean, that's. Oh, that's a, that would like be a, a good ad if you, you, you could find the old ad, old ad, actually, if you wanted to put that in something. That would be great. Because I, I remember he also did one for uh, Stay Alive, which was a game you put marbles Oh, on, yeah, uh, we had that, too. Yeah, and you'd slide, like, I think, was it two or four players? I guess two. One person would control the top layer of, like... Uh, I remember the ad with him was creepy. Yeah, yeah. And if you fell through, then you'd lose. It was great. And, of course, one that was featured in the marathon, uh, the Vincent Price uh, Polaroid commercial as well. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yep. So right, the shrunken head kit, shrunken head apple sculpture. Oh, my gosh. This is the oh, Joan and Bradley? Yep. <laughs> so all over the Jones household, you would find, like, at any time, like, 50 awesome. shrunken apple heads. Uh, then our grandmother would get mad because we'd use up all the apples. Making <laughs> <laughs> this could be your oh, head. Look at this. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> that is amazing. And you used it. I remember it was like a Yeah, see, it's like a lamp because it would heat up and shrink the, and, you know, dry out the apple and shrink it up. Yeah. So it's probably dangerous to give like a kid. To play <laughs> with, That's true. I guess if you left it there for too long, it might burn. But yeah, I remember, well, we had a few things like that. Like, uh, what was the creepy crawlers one? Because when you melt like the the plastic and put them in the sculptures. Oh yeah, whatever yep. it was. Yeah, a lot of good dangerous toys back in the seventies. We had one where you'd melt wax. And then you'd make little cars out of them because you'd have molds. Oh, yeah. you put the wheels in them. Yeah, there was a lot of cool toys like that. Well, I might even have it somewhere in the closet, the uh, the shrunken head kit. The shrunken head, still, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it still work, but it would look cool sitting up here. Well, I think it was just like a little clip. You could put it on any lamp, but 
you, I, might, uh, I might. I think I probably have the. It would have I to have, have like it, a might, sixty watt bulb. Yeah, I mean, I probably, I probably have the whole box. Is what I'm saying somewhere. I don't know, yeah. you know what's left in it. But. <laughs> I'll try to find it. We were usually pretty good about keeping all the pieces together in all of our games and toys and things. Yeah, I have to clean that closet. I might find some cool stuff to put on the mm-hmm. bookshelf or nothing else. So who, are, who do you have any do you have a list of favorite actors? Horror actors? Uh yeah. Well, I'm not an official list, but the ones that I can think of off the top of my head, both uh living in and since past are Actors such as uh, Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing. Uh, Oliver Reed has appeared actually in a few horror movies. I'm a big fan of Oliver Reed. He's fantastic. Uh, (coughs) Also, I would have to say... Now I'm trying trying to think more than five. Uh, Jeffrey Combs will be another one as well. uh, From Rihanna in particular. He's fantastic in that movie. As well as, thank you. Else, um, Jeffrey Combs was great too. If you ever got to see his his one man show where he was, was um, very fun. Oh, Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, it was just so good. It was just so tremendous. I didn't even see that. Oh, Bruce Campbell is another one, of course. A phenomenal uh, horror actor. Uh, just goes goes for broke with everything that he does, and it's just. Amazing. And Joe brings up a good, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but uh, he brings up Oliver Reed and Ken Russell's The Devils. I agree. It's a great movie and great role. Ooh, that's a phenomenal movie as well. One that's uh, very hard to get a copy of unless you get either an old VHS copy or, or a bootleg DVD. Yeah, I, I bought the, a DVD on Amazon. It's a bootleg. Uh, I didn't know at the time. But yeah. Yeah, it's because I saw it once in a theater uh, years ago, uh, five years ago actually, and I I loved it and wanted it. And so when I found out about the bootlegs and did all my research, because there's certain bootlegs where it's a uh, full frame aspect ratio, and there's others where it has the widescreen presentation the way it's meant to be seen. And I was fortunate to find one of the widescreen bootlegs. So yeah, I had to do my research on that before I just jumped on one because I was very paranoid about that. Yeah, I mean, I do, definitely don't recommend getting bootlegs, but if for something that you just there's no available, co- you know, version of it, I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do. But yeah, a great movie, really. Uh, not not even today when you know a lot of stuff like that I liked when I was a kid that really didn't get talked about a lot. Uh, even like Wicker Man, I think has you know grown in popularity over the last few years. Uh, the Devils isn't one that you hear a lot of people talk about. So I recommend that for yeah. people watching the show. That's one I I really wanted to like. <laughs> I, I remember. Didn't, didn't yeah, we it suggested it to you on the show. Yeah, that time. we did a review of it. Yeah. Oh, terrible taste. I know. Just, it did make me laugh a lot. Anyway, I don't think that was the intention. No, it probably wasn't. <laughs> That's okay. There are, there are. I won't say what, but there's been a few movies that were mentioned tonight that I was not a fan of. So, oh, I know. Kept it to myself. But. <laughs> I didn't want anyone you know, yelling at me. <laughs> so, uh, 
Uh, he, uh, AJ asked you about, you know, what you're working on, uh, you know, for after pandemic, uh, anything else you've been working on currently? Uh, so there's that script. And then of course I'm trying to get other scripts, uh, going for after that film. And so there's been, uh, another one called simply the, uh, slasher, which would be basically akin to the toxic Avenger with trauma. This would be the flagstaff movie for slasher films. And it would focus, it's basically a mix of a, uh, a slasher film and an Italian giallo from the 70s. Uh, along the lines of Dario Argento's Deep Red or Mario Bava's Blood and Black Lace or even some more obscure ones like Sergio Martino's uh, Torso. And it focuses on a photographer who's being uh, stalked by this killer who comes to be known as the slasher. And he, the slasher is going after all the fashion models that are typical clients of this photographer. And the slasher goes so far as to actually dress up as a fashion model with this uh, black dress, a wig, and uh, a face, a mask that resembles a face, a very uh, well-made-up face. And in the fashion of a giallo, he uses a switchblade rather than, I'm sorry, a straight razor rather than uh, a weapon you would typically find in a slasher. Very cool. Very interested about that. By the way, uh, Geraldine says she's really enjoying the show. Oh, send me a message. <laughs> thank you, Geraldine. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, thank you for watching. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, do you have another question? That's a cool name, Geraldine, by the way. That'd be a great name. It is a very nice name. name. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, I do have a question, Justin. You don't have to give me a list, but this is not a very hard-hitting question. But what's your favorite Halloween candy? That's a good question. Actually. I like this one. Question. Uh, um, you know, I wouldn't say I have a favorite so much as uh, favorites that I go to around Halloween time. It's usually, you have uh, a list. <laughs> I do have a mini list. Uh, <laughs> let's let's see if I can do a top five. Uh, top five. Like, you know, Kit Kat bars. Uh, I M&M, like the Kit Kat too. Reese's Pieces, uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, and uh, I'm drawing a blank. Come on, we can get one more for five. I, Candy corn? No. Wix is my favorite. What is licorice? Did you say? Twix. No. Oh, Twix. Twix. Okay, I'll say licorice. Yeah, but I want to say maybe it's, uh, Hershey's. Just Hershey. Hershey okay. bar is also a standard favorite. I'm an almond okay. joy man, but get me some almond joys. Oh. Yeah. Almond joys got nuts. Nouns don't. Stone. Because sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. <laughs> But yeah, I like Almond Joys. Uh, I like Twizzlers. I don't know if that considers a Halloween candy. But any kind of gummy thing. Yeah, as long as it's horrible. I don't think you can go. Don't go with like the Black Forest or anything. Mm, the, like the off-brand gummies is what you said. Yeah, yeah. Always go with Haribo. Right. Always better. The Almond Joys, I like... Uh, uh, hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I think I'm a peanut butter cup guy. Peanut butter cup. Still like pretty Halloween. Good, pretty yeah. good way to go. Pretty good to go. Yeah. Trista, uh, you said Twix. Twix is good too. Twix. 
Do you prefer the left or the right Twix? I don't really discriminate Twix-wise, but I like Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, too. Oh, yeah. I think, um, I think, I might worry I think it's about easier to pick the like. ones that I don't like. I don't like you know, As far as Halloween candy. I love licorice, especially black licorice. It's an acquired taste, I know. Wow. It, it, like the oilier and less sweet it is, the better. It's just an evil old Some man. Kind of crazy I think I got that from our grandfather. I think. <laughs> and it's good because I can have it around the house and Bean never eats it. I don't have to worry about but her. She's smart. My, uh, she's not insane. Yep, my black licorice. I can't keep like uh, peanut butter cups around because she'll eat all those. All right, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm safe nice with the you. black licorice. And you could even come and visit, and I don't have to worry about you either. No. I don't like uh, Tootsie Rolls either. We don't. Uh, no. See, I, I even like candy corn. I, don't I like candy corn too. I'm not really. Uh, they're I'm, fine. So, I'm not a fan of candy corn either myself. Yeah, me I've never really understood the hatred of candy corn. But. <laughs> See, a lot of the old school candies I really dig, like the uh, the Necco wafers and the bit of honeys and things like that. I like them. Yeah. Oh, I do carry around uh, like uh, hard candy sometimes in my pocket when I'm walking. It's kind of an old man. Hi, Grandpa. That's <laughs> Some butterscotch. Or like a butterscotch in your pocket. There you go. Where there's original. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> AJ You're says like an old German guy or something. Well, I'm we're part German, so it makes sense. Uh, AJ says that uh, Justin is the uh, David Letterman of horror, which with with, with, <laughs> I with like all that. the lists. That's, that's pretty good. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it could be a segment. Like <laughs> now, it's go to the yep. list. <laughs> Gonna go over to Justin for the list. <laughs> Top I mean, ten dwarves in horror movies. I mean, lists are my specialty at this point. So. <laughs> yeah, that could be your gimmick. I like that. I remember when I was at a convention in L.A. Troy. He talked about, and this guy said he he knew me from movies, and I knew he didn't because I'm not at the time I was in any movies. And then he said that. Well, first he just say recognize me. It's like, oh, cool. He likes without your head. And then he said, he's like, oh, you're one of the, you're one of the, um, the hobbits in, um, in the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like, That's awesome. He wasn't even just trying. He wasn't being me. He like actually thought I was. So was, we are always mistaken. I remember one of the wrestling conventions, and we had people at a restaurant come up, and they were like, "Who are you, Mauler Three or something?" Yeah, all the three from Memphis. I remember you. And you're like, is. oh, okay, you want to buy me a drink or something? It's good. And up until a couple of years ago, I, I used to get, um, I don't even know his name. He's from Pawn Stars. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I can tell we all watch a lot of reality shows. <laughs> yeah. So. I don't know. He's a, he's like the guy that he's like the dumb guy on Pawn Stars. He's not like an actually he's not related to the rest of them. But anyway, people like I remember one time we were somewhere and like the the person didn't believe that I wasn't this person. So that's a great story. The person didn't believe I was this person, but 
Chumley. If I could edit this out, I'll just take it out, take another shot. That's that's his name, Chumley. Chumley, that's it, Chumley. Yeah. yeah, I used to get Chumley all the time. I remember it was one of the the name was from one of the old cartoon characters, one of the old Hanna Barbera. Things. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's a Tennessee tuxedo sidekick, the walrus. <laughs> it was Chumley. Tennessee tuxedo. I'm good for like useless info, you know. Oh, I yeah, know. I, I've known that for a long time. Oh, okay. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Joe wants to know, where can we get a Slasher t-shirt? Uh, so those are uh, especially made. I have an account on uh, staples.com. And so uh, similar to the link to uh, the Slasher 6 Marathon, if uh, you find me on uh, Facebook or the Slasher Films page, or in this case, the uh, Without Your Head uh, Forum Beyond, uh, just give me your uh, shirt size and a uh, uh, was it mailing address, and uh, I'll send you one. We'll discuss, you know, we'll discuss price from there, you know, and see uh, see how we do it. Oh, very cool. And uh, Ferris Fire says hello. What's up, Gore Gang? Well, hello, Ferris. Thank you. Ken Kramer hello. says hello. Always hello. Good. hello. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for watching. We appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, by the way, you said people follow you. I can, you know, message you on Facebook. So where, where would they find you on Facebook? Most definitely. So you can uh, uh, find me pretty easily. Uh, just look for uh, Justin Bernard Head, or um, yet another way is the Slasher Films uh, page, which is Slasher Films uh, parentheses S L S H R six. And then you can also find me on Instagram at Justin Head zero one. Uh, and you can usually reach me uh, there. So, yeah, those are about the main ways to uh, reach me. Very cool. Well, I, uh, I've i loved your work that I've watched so far, and I look forward to seeing oh, yeah. more of it. Oh, thanks, man. Glad you did it. Yeah. And it's been very yeah. fun to have you on the show. Thank yeah, you. it's it been an honor to be on really the show. Time. Yeah, I'm a fan as well. Thank you, Trista. Yeah, you're kind of your work as well. On the Johnny Craig um, panel with Santa, he doesn't really look like either one too much. He does not actually, and I'm kind of disappointed. I thought he looked more like the uh, the old British uh, Tales from the Crypt, but no. You can never trust Troy. (laughs) No, my memory was a little faulty on that one. (laughs) <laughs> like, geez, I, I think that Johnny Craig illustration looked just like that guy, and it didn't. I was trying to find because Troy actually drew uh, a cool, creepy Santa once for the show, but I'm not able to find it. But I'm sure I'll find it at some point, and I'll post it in the uh, group. But you remember Troy did it uh, a few years ago? He for, had an axe right on his shoulder or something. Yeah. I don't know where he is. Somebody stole him, I guess, but we'll find him. We'll find him eventually. But anyway, this has been really fun, and it'll be cool to have you back on sometime. We'll we'll definitely have to do a list at some point. I think it's oh, yeah. uh, Justin yeah. is You'll perfect have to come for back for a thirteen. You'll have to expand it from a ten, though. You'll have to add three more. I know it's true. Or you might have to whittle it down from the two hundred. That's true. Ooh. That'd be a long show if we did. We're gonna do our top two hundred films. All of us have our top two hundred. 
Oh, All right, Tris, what's your number 156? <laughs> We're three hours into the show now. Yep, uh, we're getting there. Only another 12 more to go. <laughs> It'd be a long show to do your top cat. It would be. <laughs> yeah. I talked to, um, <clears throat> since uh, uh, last month was our 15th anniversary of the show, I haven't mentioned this on air, but I asked him, and he's willing to do it, but uh, I don't know when. That's the problem. But at some point, we're going to have Jittery John, our fellow co-founder of Without Your Head. He's going to return to the show, so it'll be me and Tristan Troy and Jittery John, and uh, we'll probably do our top 13 horror movies or something like that. But uh, he's, he's oh, agreed to come back. Well, that'll for, be, for be show. fun. That'll be fun, yeah. That's good. I missed you. I don't. I don't either. But I thought it was a nice thing to say. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I kid, I kid. Yeah, I see him all the time on In Your Head on the wrestling shows. That's true. You see him once a week, anyway. Yeah, that's enough. Oh, I kid, I kid. But anyway, Justin, this has been awesome. Honestly, thank you for doing the show. Yeah, thank you so yeah, no much. Worries. Thank you for having me. It was it was an honor. It was a great opportunity. And thank you, uh, thank you, Troy. Thank you, Tristan. And thank you, Neil, for having me on. I, uh, Oh, this, was, this was a fun evening. I'm, I'm glad I did this. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you, Justin, and stay safe. Pleasure. Yeah. And so. thanks, yeah. Trista. You know, uh, I get to see your stuff, you know, through Trista, really, and uh, I'm glad I did. And I'm, that's how it works out, um, you know, a lot of, with independent stuff, word of mouth, and you like, you know, you might like something someone does. You watch your other stuff, and then, uh, but that's how that's how these things get out out there. So if you like something, go and rate it on IMDb and all those things. And also, you know, share it around so people can uh, check it out. Yeah. That's definitely. Well, it's kind of an amazing new world when people can do that. You know, you have people recommending things and like, Hey, I think you might like this thing of a jig. It's it's what I do every other day. (laughs) Yeah. The arts are super important, especially right now. Almost definitely. Speaking of word of mouth, one last thing for me, just in case anyone has seen it, hasn't seen it, would like to see it, um, they made a special Halloween episode of of Creep Show, and it's an animated two-parter. I've heard about that. I need to find that, actually. And I I think it's on Shudder. I I think um, that's where the other Creep Shows are. And one of the stories, I think the first story on there is, um, it's a great, like, uh, King short story about this guy that gets uh, stranded on a desert island. It's a really cool story. So I, I think the animated version will be nice. Awesome. I didn't really know the second one. I don't know who it's by. Sweet. I have to look for it tonight. Yeah. It sounds like a good time. Good man, Troy. I haven't watched it yet either, so I, I have to watch it. All right. We will. All right. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, everybody. It's good to see everybody. Always a pleasure. All right. Until next time, we'll see you. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Just an awkwardly wave while I hit stop. All right. From ancient terrors to the search for modern-day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more.
tomb of Nick Cage. Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. They're